I don't know if that last part just recorded. I don't know. Sometimes Facebook Live is confusing. Hi, welcome to Dopamine C Note here, Christian Rivera, uh, and welcome to the show that is like uh, I, don't, I don't I don't have one prepared today. Actually, today is going to be a bit of a heavy show, so I feel like it would be inappropriate to make a joke <laughs> um, as I laugh. Uh, today I'm we're going to talk about a heavy topic, so this is going to be. Um, bit of a heavy trigger warning because we're going to talk about suicide, self-harm, and really the difference between wanting to kill yourself and not wanting to exist. Um, and I, I'm mostly going to speak from my personal experience in that realm, um, something I've experienced since I was uh, about 10 years old, and my uh, experiences with other people as it pertains to uh, suicide as well. So I'm going to kick off the intro and let's do this. Drums, all right so i am here despite for some reason it didn't cut to the right thing but uh real quick i'm just posting it to my personal facebook page so that you guys can follow me uh and and listen to this so i'm gonna start talking while nothing is on the video hi i'm over here (laughs) and uh get this thing going so Join me, self-harm. We're talking about heavy topics today. And let's do this. Okay, so today is, um, yeah, like I said, today is going to be an interesting show. Um, Today is one that I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I wanted to do this episode because two days ago, I was feeling like garbage. Um, today I'm not. And yesterday I wasn't either. Um, I think I was a little bit yesterday, but today I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in a better place. Uh, two days ago I was in a really, really bad spot. Probably one of my most um, negative, depressive places that I've been in, in quite a little while. And um, depressive in the sense that I was just kind of flat. Um, and flat in the sense that like food didn't taste really good music was not doing anything for me you know depressive states are are so frustrating because some things that are like obviously hilarious jokes are just i'm like okay just nothing just just flat you know everything is just just gone and you don't and it's hard to explain why you know for me with cyclothymia things just kind of happen there's a little bit of a fear that like any day could be my last because who knows when i will wake up and have a completely depressive spiral and not be able to recover from it uh you know that's that's really really difficult to um really difficult to live with to be honest um so to go back to when i was younger um i've been dealing with this notion of self-harm since i was a kid um i always felt like it was scary in the sense that I did not want to hurt myself physically with like anything sharp or cut myself or anything like that. That was not 
not ever in the cards. I never liked pain. So, I, you know, I, I wasn't, it wasn't one of those types where I was like, I need to feel pain to feel something. I know some people do that. Um, but that's, that was never my jam. Uh, my first instances of dealing with self-harm were when I was a kid. I was, um, I don't remember how old I was, probably somewhere between 10 and 12. I think it was probably 12 because we were in a different apartment um, than before I was 12. So 11 or 12, let's say. And um, I tried to drown myself. I didn't know what I was dealing with. This was really one of the first times that I was starting to feel like I was different from other people. I was different in the sense that I just wasn't happy when other people were happy. I didn't feel like I could connect with people. I didn't know how to talk to them. When I was younger and my older sister was told that her mother was murdered, my older half-sister was told that her mother was murdered, I didn't know how to react to it. And from that moment, I was really confused about how I should act socially. Uh, I was not very adept at, at connecting with people socially. Uh, I had issues in school. I didn't feel like I was learning very well. I didn't feel like people were paying attention to me in the way that I would like would have liked to. Um, I was really stuck in my own head. Uh, I really physically felt like my body wanted me and my mind just didn't want me to exist anymore. It was a situation where I just I didn't I didn't understand. I didn't understand why I was alive. I didn't understand why I was brought into the world so differently than others because I was not exposed to anything differently at the time. Um, I don't even think I learned that other people get depressed until I was like in my early 20s, like really depressed, like 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 chemical imbalance depressed. I've always heard people say like, oh, I'm so depressed, but like in the way that's like sad, like. I'm sad after someone dies. Like, yeah, of course, that you're supposed to be sad after someone dies. Um, but not in the sense of, like, for no reason. <laughs> for, everything's great in life, but I'm still a shit show. Like, that's really the, the, the heaviness, the hard part of all of that. So, um, to, to kind of, again, go back to when I was younger, um, I tried to drown myself. Uh, the thoughts, really the only thing that kind of, pulled me out of the water, which it was just me because I was home by myself, was um, the just the thought of my mom's reaction if she found me. So I I pulled myself out and I, I did not commit to it. Um, instead, I decided to try to find ways to learn what was going on. So I literally went to the library and I started reading a book called... Um, oh, no, I lost it. Oh. Uh, uh, an unbroken mind? No, that's not what it's called. Um, an unquiet mind. That's what it is. An unquiet mind. It was a book about manic depression. And, um, it was a book that I really related to. It was one of the first ones that I actually read all the way through. (laughs) Like one of the first big books that I read. Uh, I was really, really interested in it because I felt like it really appealed to me. At the time she was speaking about, uh, bipolar one, I think. And, I don't think I related on such an intense level, but I felt like the base level of it was something that I connected with. Just like these inconsistent moods, I felt like I was like going through some sort of cycle 
of like I would feel really depressed and then I'd be really, really happy and really excited. I would love life and everything would be going great and then I would crash again. I never really felt like I was normal in any kind of way, quote unquote. So um, throughout the years to kind of flash forward to I was about probably in my late teens, early 20s, you know, most of my teens, I was pretty apathetic. Um, I was dealing with depression, but I kind of learned a way to tie it into my personality. People just kind of knew me as like brooding or meh. And uh, I don't know. I just like kind of turned it into like something that was a little bit charming or, or I pushed people away really. So they didn't, they didn't really have to learn more about me and I didn't have to explain what was going on. Even my parents didn't really understand, you know, my depression and my, uh, um, my cyclothymia until I don't even think they still understand, but within the last few years, I've been able to really talk to them about it and let them know what's going on. And they're like, what you were dealing with that when you were a kid. And I'm like, yeah, ever since I was like 10 years old, I've been dealing with like my brain trying to off myself. Um, so with me again, you know, my version of self harm was never through pain it was always through reckless behavior. So in my late twenties through probably my, or rather my late teens to my early twenties. So I'd say probably like 17 to 24 ish, 23. I would often be, um, I'd end up being kind of popular because I was willing to just be crazy and reckless and do maddening things and I'd drink a lot and I'd just be partying and go all the time and um, you know people love that sort of thing but it was really a way to just I was just like throwing myself at things because I did not value my own life I didn't value my personal safety I just felt like hey if I drank too much and tonight I died somehow cool, I guess I'm done. (laughs) Um, so if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out in a ball of flames, that kind of thing. Uh, so that's the, that's kind of a difference between like differences in self-harm, you know, self-harm is not just the cliche cutting your wrists and, 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 or leaving scars on yourself just to feel pain. For me, it was about reckless behavior. It was about, um, not caring about my own well-being. I would have arguments with my dad and have some really have some intense like, you know, fistfights and discussions and, and throwing things and, and a lot of yelling and a lot of cursing and screaming and just in each other's faces because I would always fight back and I, I just didn't care. I, I would defend him sometimes or I'd defend my mom or I would, you know, look at what was best for uh, uh, some of the people in my family, my little sister and and brother, especially. Um, But for the most part, I was ready to just like throw myself in front of the bullet, no matter what. And um, I think the reason I was able to have such intense battles with my, my dad was that I just, there was no consequence. I, I felt like in my head, I was already prepared to accept death that nothing could touch me. And that almost sounds like a good thing, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is that it's, it, it's something that was, uh, uh, gave me the, the, it created a recklessness in me 
that caused me a lot of harm. Harm in my relationships. Um, I would be a little bit promiscuous and seek other women when I was in relationships. Uh, um, I would do a lot of emotional manipulation. I would do a lot of um, a lot of drinking. I never got into drugs or anything like that. Again, kind of pain averse. So I don't like the way things feel internally or like touching my body. Luckily, I've, I'm weird like that. <laughs> so I'm okay with dying, but don't poke me with something. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea is, is um, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to talk about. So pardon me while I work through this. But I had a lot of reckless behavior going on um, where I would drink too much and I would... That sound is my computer, by the way. I would drink too much, and everyone th- would think I was awesome, but under the surface, I just knew that I was, I was, I was ready to deal with whatever consequences came my way. I did not care about myself. And a good example of that actually is like when I drive, even to this day, when I drive and I'm by myself, I'm a little bit more reckless than if it was with other people. I would never put other people in harm's way. It was not about hurting anyone else. It was always about, you know, my soul recklessness and my perception of my value of my life. Um, there was a, a couple of instances. So there was one time where I was drunk and I was walking to a, uh, a Friday night social, which was a, basically a dance. And we drank in the park and we walked a few miles after we drank for quite a while. And I would do a lot of heavy binge drinking. So I was definitely smashed to the point where I couldn't see very well. Um, and we got around about around the corner from the social and I saw a bus coming and I don't remember consciously making this decision. I just remember turning and walking and I started walking in front of the bus as it was coming at me full speed. Uh, luckily there was a friend behind me and I wasn't the only one in, I wasn't in the back of the pack a friend was behind me and they were just like, dude. And they just, they grabbed me and pulled me back. Um, but they kind of, they got a sense for my conviction there. And, um, it, it was really kind of a, an example of how subconscious it is because at the time I, I just didn't feel like I was making that decision. I felt like the reptile brain took over and the alcohol was about numbing my logical brain. <laughs> the, the alcohol allowed the, the, the chemical takeover to happen a little bit more freely. And, um, that was, uh, uh, that was a rough thing to, I mean, at the time, you know, I didn't care, but to go back and look at that, it's, it's, it's frightening because it's, it's something that I still feel very scared of. Um, and, you know, I slowed down drinking, uh, after a few instances like that, there was an instance where I, I had a really bad breakup. This was at the end of 2007. I had a really bad breakup. I was just absolutely depressed. I was madly in love with her, and she left me, and um, I just didn't know how to cope with it. I went through a manic spiral, um, took care of myself physically, but almost as like a fuck you to her. <laughs> and uh, at the end of like three months, I went out with some people, um, some people I didn't know very well, and um, which was extra dangerous because I knew they were going to take care of me. And um, it was a $2 you call it. So $2 you drink whatever you want. And I had Long Island iced teas. 
and I had like about 12 of them in the span of two hours. Um, you know, decent sized cups. They were like little plastic cups. Um, but they, um, you know, Long Island iced teas are pretty potent. So I drank a lot of them very quickly. And, um, that night to kind of cut a long story short, I, I blacked out. I drove for a few miles. I woke up in an ambulance, um, that gave me fluids, all that stuff. Um, and, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where my car was. I didn't know where my car was towed or taken. Uh, I wasn't sure if I got a DUI. There was no police around, so I assumed I didn't, and I didn't. Um, but there was this long story of basically uh, I had to pay an $80 cab fare to go to my mom's house, and I went back to the club the next day and found out that my car wasn't there and realized that I had drove. I had to report my car stolen because I didn't know where it was. And it wasn't until like three to four weeks later that I got a phone call from an impound lot saying, hey, why haven't you picked up your car? And I'm like, I didn't know where it was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ended up finding a way to pay for it and got it out of the lot. But that was a big wake up call for me in terms of controlling, you know, if I wanted to continue to live, if I wanted to continue to be um, an existing part of society and value my life and and make a change to really try to do something worthwhile to feel like I'm deserving of love again or deserving of of any kind of feeling, really. Uh, I needed to take a little bit more discipline and take some more control and uh, find some sense of value in my life. And through continuing to work out at that time, this was like 2008, I took care of myself. I lived alone. Uh, I got to distance myself from you know, from family, I spent time with friends when I needed to, I got support from friends when I needed to, and kind of started to create some sense of control in my life. Um, and through that, I, I don't think, I don't think I had many suicidal tendencies throughout that year. And, um, you know, for a little while, um, uh, the, the thoughts creep in when you deal with depression, even today, like, and it's even scarier today when life is really good, like all of my things in life are really good. And I've had so many instances where life is good. Like I've had someone who's loved me and cared for me and people have said that they've wanted to spend their life, their life with me and, and I have a good job and I had a house and I was in California and I, and I had situations in, you know, even in Philly before I left that like were good. And I felt like I was sabotaging myself all of the time. And it's really hard to cope with that. And, um, it's just easy when you're feeling depressed to, remember all of the bad things and feel like you're the problem and feel like your life is ruining other people's lives. And that for me is, was the driving force for a lot of my suicidal thoughts. Um, I just always felt like people would be better off without me. Um, you know, I'd be done. And then six months they'd forget I existed and, and move on with their lives in some way, shape or form. And, um, I just had to stop. I had to stop thinking that way. I had to reframe the conversation, um, the conversation that I was having with myself. Basically, I had to reframe my suicidal thoughts into temporary difficulties, meaning I would take the suicidal difficulties that I was having through my depression and I would reframe it as I don't want to exist today. Today, I just don't want to exist as opposed to I want to kill myself. 
because I want to kill myself involves an action and involves you're, you're thinking about doing something. It's kind of the opposite of motivational thinking, right? Because you're, when you, when you want to do something, you think about and you, you picture it and you dream it and you think about all of the details and you're just like, or at least I do, I think about all of the details of how do I approach it? How do I go about it? And how do I accomplish this? But if you're thinking about that and using that in the context of suicide, it's going to lead you one step closer to actually performing it and doing it and and not thinking about the consequences and not valuing your own life. So you kind of have to, to, to take the opposite approach. And for me, I just needed to reframe it. I needed to reframe it as, as I know in some sense, this is temporary. This is going to pass because in my case, it's cyclical. This is going to pass. I just need to work through it. This sucks. This is terrible. But I need to give myself some room, or as Molly likes to say, give myself some grace and do just focus on the very, very basics of life. Focus on surviving. Focus on making it through today because the goal is to continue to exist. I want you to exist. I want to exist. I want to keep existing. But I know that in this moment, this depressive feeling is causing me to feel like I just don't want to exist. I don't want to face difficulties. I don't want to face responsibilities. I don't want to face emotions. I don't want to face anything that is difficult uh, beyond everything that's already in my head that is difficult on its own. So I, I know not everyone has the luxury of like finding ways to turn things off or to you know, not go to work or whatever. But that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is I want to give you the tools to recognize when you're having a difficult day and because and and allow yourself to not be a regular human. Because in that instance, you're not. You're a human that's in need. You're a human that needs help. You're a human that needs space. You're a human that needs to focus on your very core needs and your 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 individual uh, strengths. And, and little things that you need to focus on. When I'm stuck in bed and I can't get out, the thing that I spend time thinking about the most while I'm perusing YouTube videos or just like silently in bed, I'm thinking about that. I'm not thinking about anything big in the day. I am just, I am, I am washing the slate clean of thinking that I need to do anything. I need to, if I needed to go to work, I would call out of work. I don't care what they say because my life is at stake. And you have to think about it on that level. Your life is at stake. I'm serious. I'm not just being dramatic. This is real shit. Like your life is at stake. So you can call out of work. They'll be fine. A business will exist without you. The business will grow. They'll be able to do your thing and they don't need you. You'll be fine. And if they need you, then maybe you need to temper that a little bit so that they can exist without you in some way. Um, so call out of work, let people know what's going on, let people know, and you don't have to be so specific. You don't have to call your mom and say, I want to kill myself today. You just have to say to whoever you're immediately around that I've got nothing today. I'm sorry. And you can apologize if you want to, you shouldn't, but you can, if you want to, that's fine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling good today. I don't have it. I can't do this. And, you know, if you're, 
a single mom, that's hard. Uh, or, or dealing with a situation where you can't outsource parts of your life to other people, that's hard. So do what you can in the times that you are feeling okay to cultivate almost like a almost like a go bag or an escape pod mentally to allow yourself the freedom you know if you can afford uh, a you know a babysitter or have your parents take the kids i just can't do it today i'm sorry it is nothing personal but but it's it's hard there's so many nuances that a conversation that i can't possibly cover all of the things and i'm sorry i know that um, but the idea is do whatever you can to create the boundaries that you can in your life to give yourself the room to take care of yourself. Because like I said, your life is at stake and it's important and you're important and your life is important. My life is important. I, it is. I, I, I'm 32 years old. Never thought I would make it this far because I thought anywhere between the ages of 10 and 24, I was, I was just going to wake up and, and I, I would just, I would be done. I would, I would, I would drink too much. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd get some sort of disease or something. I don't know. I would do something reckless and, um, not care about my life. I don't even stand near ledges because I don't trust myself. It's <laughs> a weird thing, right? But it's true. I don't stand near ledges. I don't like to. I'm afraid that my brain will have a split second moment and say, do it. And I will do it. Uh, I, I can't. Mm -mm. Nope. I don't take those kinds of risks. I just can't. Um, but the important thing is to do everything you can to increase you, the value that you have on yourself. Um, and focus on the little things. If you're having a really, really tough time, if you're feeling, feeling suicidal, you know, do what you can to reframe it as it's not that I want to kill myself. It's just that I don't want to exist today. And that's hard. Um, so I got a few comments here while I wrap this up um, from Molly, who is like super supportive of me and having someone supportive of you is amazing and can make all of the difference in, um, you know, continuing to, to, to do this or not. So let me let me read a couple of these real quick. Yeah, not not caring about natural consequences because um because you're feeling apathetic. You know, it's um you know, giving yourself some grace and just breathing. And um the thing is that if you're feeling apathetic, you're not going to give any flavor to anything in life. Um, you're really just, you really just have to focus on the bare minimum of surviving because that takes extra effort. Um, and sometimes that comes with knowing the times where you do feel good and you feel okay, or you feel like flat or, you know, a little bit more than flat. <laughs> uh, uh, just think of ways to consider those moments when you're going to feel depressed. It's like, it's kind of, Okay. It's going to be a funny moment in all this heaviness, but um, it's kind of like when you're drunk <laughs> and you buy yourself a sandwich for the next day. You're like, oh, thanks, drunk me. I got a great sandwich now. That's amazing. You almost have to 
non it's almost like your non-depressive self has to give your depressive self gifts and, and and plans and structures and ways to deal with being depressed so that you can still function as a person um that includes you know when you have a job having those conversations with your boss and saying you know there's there are moments in my life where i get heavily depressive um if it's predictable or not i, I need you to know that and you know, there are going to be times where I'm going to have to call out sick, um, so that I can deal with this. And, you know, it's hard to set boundaries because we have our own degrees of, of, um, of, of, of poverty, of things that we have to deal with responsibilities, things like that. But if you have the freedom to be able to set those boundaries, do it. Absolutely do it. Yeah. Um, because your mind can be sick too. Mental health is just as important as any other aspect of your of your physical health. Um, and really the two are pretty strongly linked. You know, what you eat, taking care of yourself, um, you know, focus on simply just getting enough water, you know, eating food. Try to eat something a little bit healthier if you can. Um, I, I wouldn't even be scared of like little indulgences too, you know, like if a pint of ice cream is going to make you feel a little something, then I don't know, go for it, but just not all the time. <laughs> that's, that's not a, that's not a clinical recommendation, by the way. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> um, Molly also says it's especially important for moms. If you are not taking care of yourself, then you can't possibly take care of your children in the long term. You are the most important, um, just like taking the oxygen mask for yourself first so you can help others. Uh, and, and that's a really good analogy is the ox- oxygen mask, especially if you have people that depend on you. Um, taking the time to take care of yourself is, of course, important. But, um, you know, the being real about what's going on, if you're feeling suicidal, um, then you have to say that. You have to say that to yourself first. Um, you know, again, try to reframe it as like, I don't want to exist today. I don't, I don't want to deal with life and my brain. Um, but facing it is going to give you uh, a lot more strength than either ignoring it or trying to cover it up with a substance or, or some sort of numbing and, and, you know, again, you're not in a place where you're being a regular person. So don't treat yourself like you're a regular person, you know, and I say regular or normal loosely, but what I mean is depressed is not the default human state. We are individuals. We are unique in what we're dealing with and what we're approaching. So we have to treat it as something that's different as something that's unique, something that involves special care and that involves care for ourselves having a therapist that you can reach out to when you're having a difficult time or, or speaking or calling the suicide hotline, which is, is listed on the description of this show. And if you're having a difficult time and you're listening to this podcast, I please urge you to do that. I'm not a professional. I'm only a person that has been dealing with, with mental health difficulties and have contemplated suicide, has done harmful things to myself. Um, socially and physically through not caring about my my safety and I don't want that for you the point of this podcast is that I don't want people to make the mistakes that I have I made the mistakes 
so that I can learn how to make the world a better place through through sharing my experiences. I don't want anyone to make the same mistakes I did. No way. Not at all. Not even remotely. So um, this was a long one. It was a good 32 minutes. Uh, I think it's a good place to stop as any because, like I said, I am feeling good. <laughs> I have been in a good mood, so I don't really want to bring it down by talking uh, continuously about this topic. But I do think it's important. It's something that I wanted to speak to because I was dealing with it really just literally two days ago. I was in a depressive state and, um, you know, the thoughts of suicide crept in, you know, it's, it's, it's like what comes with the territory. I'm only lucky in the sense that I'm experienced in it and I know how to talk to my brain as if it's, there's separate things going on. There's like, it's almost like the subconscious brain versus the conscious brain. And you're like tugging and fighting and, and, um, got to do everything you can to be conscious, be aware, make good decisions and it starts with just recognizing where you are, recognizing what you need and making those adjustments as a result of that. So um, I want to thank you so much for listening to this. This has been, this is really important to me. If you um, are just joining, please go back and watch the whole thing. It's a good 33 minutes. Um, we talked in, I, you know, shared some stories that are not always comfortable for me to share, but um, that's the mission of this podcast. I want to be open with you guys because I know people are dealing with things. Everyone's dealing with something and, um, you know, I'm here for you. So if you literally want to talk to me, you can, uh, I'm happy to, to, to answer whatever questions I can. Um, but I, I might point you in the direction of a therapist or, or someone or a professional to speak to because that's important too. So, um, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, all the stuff will be in the outro, so we don't need to cover that. But, um, but uh, yeah, thank you for everything, and I'll catch you next time. See ya. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine. I really appreciate it. If you thought this was a dope show, then you should wait until next week. But also, while you wait, you should go to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a positive review. Positive reviews help me to uh, fill up my dopamine tank. Otherwise, you can send your friends to dopamine.life to listen to the show or hi, my name is Christian.com to get the latest updates. I'll catch you later. Baby, I'm a fiend, I'm a fiend. Oh, you know you got me going off your dopamine. All I really need, all I need is for you to put me on to the recipe. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, purple flowers, candy showers in the air. It's on my team, you got me going off your dopamine, yeah, it's on my team, you got me going off your dopamine.